Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the anointing. I thank you for giving me utterance. Father, I thank you for uh, showing up here today and giving each individual spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of you and your word. You'd enlighten the eyes of understanding. Give us each individual rhema to make course corrections in life, Father. Get us answers to questions. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, conscience. Uh, we're here talking about hearing God for myself. Conscience, the voice of your spirit. We're on part three. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit and, you know, uh, give us a little run and head start. If we go to the first slide for me, like it's uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 10. It says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. So we, we already know this, that there's everything on this planet is talking to us, trying to get our attention, trying to lead us or drive us or influence us. That's what marketing's about. And, and I said this before, I was you know, kind of joking, but your car will talk to you like if it's on empty. You know, it'll tell you, fill me, you know, hey, we're going to run out of gas, you're going to get stranded. You know, if you let that thing play out long enough, that voice will tell you all kind of stuff. Or you ever have like a tire that was out around, or you just know that they're getting bald, or whatever it is, it's hanging over your head. You just know that it's, you know, you know, you know, oh, it's going to, and it'll keep talking to you, and it'll talk to you. All kind of stuff will talk to you. Now, um, look over here in Mark 4, we saw this a couple weeks ago. But while you're listening to everything, it's all outside voices, everything, I mean, there's just all kind of influences on the planet trying to get us to go this way and that way and sideways and over here and over there. Hey, look, bright, shiny ball. Hey, look, a bunny rabbit. All kind of stuff, right? So Mark 4 and verse 24, said, just Jesus talking, he said this, And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear and with what measure you meet, because it shall be measured unto you, and unto you that hear more shall be given. So Jesus said, man, you've got to be aware of what it is that you're listening to, first off. And then put a value system on it. What is more valuable to me in my life? What, what do I make decisions by? Like, I don't put a high value. I listen to country music, but I don't put a, a lot of value on what their message is. I don't live my life how, you know, Ke- Kelly Pickler says red high heels. I'm not going to go out and get a pair. You I mean, there's some people, they'll put, they'll put value on that kind of stuff. But, and then they won't even realize it, but they'll feed on that kind of thing or whatever kind of thinking it is. Like, I know I knew people that, uh, well, uh, one lady was going through a divorce and her husband was a jerk. So, uh, you know, and, and somebody who was married hung out with her all the time. And then and she said how great her freedom was now that she got rid of her jerk. And, and he was a jerk and he's gone. But now she's, you know, the other ladies listening to that and valuing what she's saying. Now she wants to get rid of her jerk, who's not really a jerk at all. You understand? Because she value, she wasn't taking heed what she heard, and then she put a value system on what she heard. And that's why you've got to be so careful who you surround yourself with and, and what you're listening to. People Remember the evil list? Adversity, affliction, calamity. People that are always talking worry, always talking adversity, always talking sickness, always talking lack. You have, if you hang out with them and you value that friendship, you are putting a value system on what they say. Oh, that's so good, Andrew. It's the truth. And because you have a history or there's an emotional tie to those people, they will drag you down, but you've got to take heed what you hear. And then you wonder why you can't hear God for yourself. Well, how are you going to hear God with all the static and all the noise that's going on? You've got to cut through that. And if you're valuing that more than your time with God, what will happen? You're going to get all that. So this is the whole thing about conscience, listening to the voice of your spirit is that you know, we're not even aware of our, the voice of our spirit. We're listening to all this other stuff that's going on. We've been raised that way, and we hardly even in church ever heard about our conscience except, you know, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. But the voice of your spirit isn't just to tell you, 
you know, you're doing something wrong. Right? It's to tell you, help you make decisions in life in real time. What job do I take? Where do I get gas? Where's, you know, where should I go to the store? How many know? Because God is setting up meetings with you, for you, with other people. Not just to help them, but to get you help. I mean, you might miss an appointment if you don't listen to your spirit and you go get gas down at the cheapest place instead of get gas over across from where the Mercedes are sold because somebody wants to give you one. Well, I never even thought of that. Right. Maybe God's trying to get something to you and bless you and get something to you, but you're not listening to get in the position to where He can put it in your lap. Take heed what we hear and then measure. Put a value system on what we're, who we're hearing it from. Who are, and, and consider the source. Always consider the source of whatever it is that you're hearing. I always consider the source. Alright, go to Romans 8 and verse 16. It says this, Now the Spirit Himself bears witness or communicates or testifies, tells the truth as He knows it to our what? Spirit. Now, this says that He testifies that, that we are the children of God. How many know witnesses testify to all the truth that they know? All the truth that they know. Because look over here in Num John. The Holy Spirit. Will He just tell us we're the children of God? No, He wants to tell us everything that He knows. John chapter 16. Well, I'll go to 15. In verse 26, Jesus said, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, He shall testify or bear witness of what? Me, said Jesus. Me. He'll testify of me. And then he goes on to say, and you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now the people he was talking to weren't with him from the beginning. When was the beginning? First, what's First John say? Hold your finger right there in this very same book. Well, we're off on a little rabbit trail, but that's alright. What's the very first, first John, or John chapter 1, verse 1? In the, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him, not with Him. So who was at the beginning? Right, but now Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes and He's on the inside of you, He said, you'll testify and bear witness of Me just like He does because you were with Me from the... Did you see that? That everybody that once you are in, once you're born again, your spirit is alive unto God. That you... All right, we'll get... We'll just go to the next one. We'll go to the next one here for me. Over here in Romans 9.1, it says, I say the truth. Hold that thought right there because I'll get to it. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bears witness or communicates in the Holy Ghost. Go to the next one. So we see that God's Spirit talks directly to my spirit, right? Okay, one more. And he said, my conscience. And we saw that conscience is co-perceptor. Remember what perceiving is that you sense intuitively? Co-perceive with who? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that who's talking to your spirit? And conscience is the voice of your spirit? 
He said, we'll perceive together. And 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 says, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now watch. Remember I told you about a cup of coffee and a creamer? You got a cup of coffee, you put the creamer in, and it's all one cup of coffee. Can you split them now? That's what happens when you get born again. Jesus just said that the Spirit of truth come. When I leave, and I'm raised from the dead, I'll send the Spirit of truth, and He'll testify to you, and then you'll testify because you were with me from the... Because who was with Jesus from the beginning? God. And who's on the inside of you now? God. And you're one Spirit with who? The Lord. So you know everything that He knows. How could you... You could tell the truth as God knows it. Think about that for a minute. Because you have all the ability and all the knowledge and all the intuition that the Holy Spirit has. You have the ability. It is now in you to have all of that. I mean, if we think it's okay, we think, yeah, I know God knows everything I know. How I many know we don't have a problem with that? Does God know everything you know? Yeah. Well, if you're joined to the Lord and you're one spirit, how many know you, should, you have the ability to know everything that He knows? Does the creamer and the coffee know each other? Do they know everything the other one knows? How hot it is in this cup? Huh? Right. Think about that. You have that ability on the inside of you. How do we get that information from my spirit to where I can use it in real time? I don't have to have God talk to me all the time or He speak to me. Why? Because I know everything that He knows. Because my spirit is joined to the Lord and we're one spirit. This is right. See, Rama is a lot broader than you. You know, just the burning bush. I don't really need an angel to come down and tell me something. I don't need an open vision. You don't either. Anybody that is joined to the Lord and is one spirit with the Lord, I mean, you know everything that He knows. I don't need that. If I do need it, God will show up and give it to me. Because sometimes I need a kick in the pants to get that information from my spirit to my mind and my brain housing group and my body, so we'll get moving. Right. But I don't want to count on that. I want to count on, I, I know that I have access to this information all the time, 24-7. How do I get it on my own? Well, I don't have to wait for Gabriel to show up. Right? Isn't that, it, are you following this? That's what this whole conscience series is about because that's the part of us from our spirit that will talk to our mind. That's the, only, that's the only place in our mind that we hear voices. Audible voices go into your ear and you capture them in your thoughts. If anything that's not audible is talking to you, it's still captured in your thoughts. And God won't talk to your mind. He's not a mind. He's a spirit. He'll only talk to your spirit. So to get that information out of my spirit into my mind, I have to have my spirit talking to my mind and that's my conscience. The voice of my spirit. Go to the next one, Mike. It's only found in the New Testament conscience. And what it is is the voice of your spirit communicating everything that the Holy Spirit knows to your mind. And if you shut that down, how I many you just shut down the ability to know everything that God knows? You have it bottled up. You have put a dam or a roadblock in place. So get that information from your spirit who is one spirit with the Lord and it stopped and it didn't get to the rest of your being. It didn't get to your body and it didn't get to your mind or your will and your emotions and that's where I need it in order to function here on the planet. Go to the next one, Mike. Romans 2 and verse 14 says this. For when Gentiles, these are people that are born again, but were not brought up under the law. They weren't Jews. For Gentiles who don't have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these although not having the law, are a law unto themselves. 
which show the work of the law written in their hearts, that's their spirit, their conscience also bearing witness, testifying of the truth. Isn't that the same thing the Holy Spirit was doing? Isn't that what Jesus said we would do? It's our conscience doing that, bearing witness. Therefore, it says in the Greek, our thoughts, the meanwhile, will accuse or excuse one another. So there's the process. It comes out of our hearts, our voice of our spirit, our conscience will bear witness to our thoughts, and then our thoughts will tell us, yeah, do this one, or no, don't do that one. But in order to have the right thoughts coming from my conscience, I've got to be able to recognize the source and put a value system on that and say, hey, I better do what this one says because it's my spirit. It's the one coming from God, not what was said on whatever you know CNN or whatever radio show or whatever TV program, whatever docudrama I'm watching or I'm feeding on. Or society, whatever society's telling us that we have to do. Or the doctor, or whoever else. You can just take it on down the line. If it didn't come from God, I really don't give a flying flip about it. I don't even care what I think. Because I'm stupid. You are? Uh Uh-huh. Just like you. Go to the next one. Two types of conscience. It's the truth. Anything that didn't come from God, what do we want to know it for? I don't, I don't really care. Two types of conscience. Good conscience and an evil conscience. Okay, go to the next one, Mike. Good conscience is this. Remember, it's not the same. The Greek words are a little different than what our good and evil list was. This, this means a good conscience is, is noble. It's honorable. It affects the mind agreeably. Say, brings peace. It comforts you. Your conscience will always comfort you. It'll bring comfort to you. Every decision it tells you to make, the end goal is comfort and peace in your life. It will never tell you to make a decision that won't bring peace. It may feel like it on the front end that there's no peace here if I do that. But that's where the faith part comes in, that you believe that God actually is looking out for you. Alright, go to the next one, Mike. Evil conscience. I want to spend a little more time on this today. It kind of dovetails in with what Jennings was talking about last week. But if we can't get over this, you can never hear your good conscience. This is why 99% of the body of Christ doesn't hear from God. And the 1% that does, they have a hard time hearing it on a constant basis. Because every time that this voice of guilt, this evil conscience comes back and they operate on that, you shut down the ability to hear from God. So, we've got to dump guilt. Here's what evil conscience in the Greek says. It's full of labors. I mean, you're doing your checklist. That's labors, annoyances, hardships, pressed and harassed, bringing toil, causing pain and trouble. It's the voice of guilt and it comes from the law. Now remember, three kinds of righteousness. You remember this? There's unrighteousness, which means you have no equity. There's self-righteousness, which is what? You're trying to build your own equity. And then there's righteous by faith. You have equity. You just believe in Jesus and you got it all. You get all equity with God. 100% equity, riches, honor, and life. It all belongs to you. I mean, when you feel guilty that you don't measure up, then you've got to do something to fix it. What are you trying to do? Build your own equity. Now, if you feel like you have to do something to get, your, you know, get back, get right with God, quote, quote, and make Him like me better and so that I could get... Bl- if you've got to do something, you're trying to pay your own way. You've taken, now you're operating under an evil conscience. You have shut down your ability to hear from God. It's huge. That's Satan's number one trick. 
That's why religion is all built on guilt. It's built on guilt. We should get t-shirts like that. Religion built on guilt. It is because it keeps you from hearing from God. And where does faith come from? Rhema, hearing from God. And where's our victory come from? Faith. Go to the next one for me. All right, these are Jennings' questions from last week. I want to just take a, take a minute to look at these, okay? Before I do, though, come over here to John chapter 8 because we looked at this story before. Remember about the woman taken in adultery? You know, and they brought her to Jesus. Let's look at this one more time. And then we'll go over this, these questions Jennings had from last week and see some stuff. John chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto Him, and He sat down, and He taught them. So He's having church. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Perverts. Now Moses' law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And this they said, tempting him or testing him, that they might have ought to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger on the ground, he wrote as though he heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and he said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped down again and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one beginning at the eldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in the midst, and Jesus lifted himself up, saw none but the woman, and he said, Woman, where are those that accuse you? Does no man condemn thee? She said, No man, Lord. He said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, did they have a good conscience or an evil conscience? This is before Jesus rose from the dead, so was it available to them to have a good conscience first off? No. So we know that they had an evil conscience. Why did they feel guilty? They were looking at the law. But what were they doing? See, here's the question is, did Jesus make them feel guilty? No. No, they made themselves feel guilty. Why? Because they were doing what? Measuring somebody else. Well, we'll just call it judging somebody else. Weren't they? They were judging this woman by the law. And when... They took that measuring stick and they judged her. They said, well, I'm doing better than that. So let's, you know, hey, kill her. And all Jesus did was take the measuring stick and hold it back up against them. Look over in Romans 2 real quick. Because this is what happens. When you judge somebody, you bring guilt back on yourself. Romans 2 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, Thou art inexcusable, O man or woman, whosoever you are that judgest. For wherein, when you judge another, you condemn who? Yourself. For that thou that judgest do the same things. Now, that doesn't really make too much sense because they weren't doing adultery and she was, right? So he can't be talking about the actual acts. What he says, the same things that you do is you, when you judge somebody and you measure them by the law, and they're, you, met, you decide, well, are they, they measuring up or not? Did they do the right thing or not? 
What you're doing is you're actually, you judge yourself because you wouldn't even bring that measuring stick to them if you didn't measure yourself. Would you? Would you? Because what they did is they compared themselves to her. We're better than her. Didn't they? They were comparing their behavior with her behavior. And ours is better. But what they did is set themselves up because how many know, my daddy always used to tell me this, there's always somebody bigger, faster, and stronger out there. I mean, is there somebody that has better behavior than you out there? Huh? So when you, when you put yourself up, when you compare yourself to somebody else, that's why it says over in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, that it's not wise to compare ourselves with others. Why? Because we bring condemnation on ourselves. Now look, this cuts both ways. See, this story with the Pharisees, they were looking down on somebody. Don't you look up on somebody either and think, well, I can never measure up to them. That's why most people have left quote, quote, organized religion because they're tired of the hypocrites. You ever heard that? What those people are doing is judging the behavior of others and looking up, well, I can never keep that standard, so I'm just not going there. It cuts both ways. Don't you judge down or don't you judge up. In fact, you need to get rid of that measuring stick. Because when you do, it says you're without excuse and you bring guilt on yourself. And that cuts you off from hearing from God. Y'all following this? Because when you, if you're, if you feel guilty, look over here in 1 John 3. If your heart is condemning you, if you feel guilty, it takes you out at the knees with God. God didn't do it. You did it to yourself. Look over here in 1 John 3 and verse 21. It says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. Okay? So if your heart, if your heart, if you don't feel guilty about nothing, then you can have confidence towards God. Isn't that what it said? Mm-hmm. So wouldn't the opposite be true? If you do feel guilty, then you can't have any confidence towards God. If you feel like you don't measure up, not to that person or to whatever standard, or you think that you're doing so good you're better than that person, because look up there how their life is. I'm doing pretty good. We like to do both, human beings. We do both. I like to go to the bylo because none of the pretty people go there. I feel better at the bylo. I don't like going to Publix because all the pretty people are there. Now I got competition. <laughs> yeah, you following this? Though this is what we do. We do it. But you don't go to Whole Foods because that's a whole nother level. <laughs> Hallelujah! Y'all following this though? Okay. So, but if we if we use any kind of that measuring stick and we compare ourselves with other people. It will eventually it'll come back and we'll be guilty somewhere. And then it takes us out of the knees because we can't have confidence towards God. But if we're not guilty, if we're not measuring ourselves against anybody else or any kind of this law standard, and we're just, all right, God, I just believe you that what Jesus did is enough, then what does it say? We have confidence towards God. And look at the very next verse. Then when we do have confidence, what happens? And whatsoever we ask, that's, all, that's big. Then that cover just about anything? Yeah, whatsoever we ask, we do what? We receive of Him because we keep His commandments which are spoken, which is what? Rhema. And do those things that are pleasing in His sight. You know what pleases Him? 
that we're not measuring up, trying to measure up and buy our own way by paying the price. Who paid the price? If we try to do something to pay the price, we have cut ourselves off from, listening, from hearing from God. We have no confidence, and then He can't show up. But if we get rid of guilt and our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence toward God that anything whatsoever that I do ask, what's the answer? Yep, here it is. Whether it's healing or finances or whatever, if you think that, well, you know, well, these bills are coming in, I better you know, spend some more time in prayer, then you're not in faith. If your spirit's telling you, hey, get on your face and we'll find out, you know what, God, you know, let me get on my face and find out from God what I need to do next to get these bills paid. That's a whole different story than, well, I need to spend an hour in prayer because, you know, otherwise God won't show up and pay my bills. Do you see the difference? I spend time with God not because I want Him to like me better, because He likes me as much as He's ever going to. I spend time with God so I'll like Him better. Do y'all follow this? It's not the, you know, oh, i got to go, you know, it's like evil conscience, toil, full of labor. If that's what it is to go spend more time with God, you, you're condemning yourself, and you have no confidence that He'll show up. That's why I ask people, well, uh, are you believing God for healing? Yep, are you healed? I don't know. Then we don't have confidence towards God, which means we're feeling guilty somewhere. Did you follow this? And that is keeping you, it's robbing you. When you operate in a guilty conscience, it robs you from hearing from God, which brings faith, and faith is what brings victory. So we don't, we don't judge. Don't measure, you don't judge yourself, we don't judge anybody else, because if you're judging somebody else, you're judging them on where you are on the measuring stick, really. If they're worse, it's always this way, they're either worse than you, or they're doing better than you in life. Isn't it? It's not wise to compare. We run our own race. Now look at these questions Jennings put for us. How far are you willing to go? Do you make enough time in your day for God? Let me just answer that one. If you are joined to the Lord and you're one spirit, how much time a day are you having with God? 24 hours. Could you make any more time? Not unless you like change the universe and how the clock and all that works. Okay? So, for you to, you know, so if that question comes up, yup, because how much time am I spending with God? 24. I don't take a day off from Him. I don't take a minute off from Him. Do you think the coffee and the cream are taking a vacation from each other once they're in the cup? They're not. Can you separate them? No. Y'all following this? All right. Now, what have you done in the past week that would cut you off or stifled God's blessings? What have you failed to do this week that would have enabled God to bless you more? And now that you realize these things, what were you going to do in the upcoming week to make sure that God, you give God every opportunity to bless you? We'll turn over to Ephesians 1. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Someone say, yeah, see, it's in heavenly places. That word in the Greek is the atmosphere. Whatever the atmosphere is that you're in, you're blessed with all the blessings. Did you all catch that? Now, it says spiritual blessings. That word spiritual is the word supernatural. Hold your finger right there and look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you would be what? Ignorant. So he's going to teach us something. He don't want us to be not in the know. He's going to give us the uh, the down. What is it? The, what does Cheryl always say? No, but Cheryl says it backwards. The low down. <laughs> How that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and they were all baptized or immersed unto Moses into the cloud and in the sea, and they did all eat the same. See where it says spiritual meat. That's the same word that's over. It says spiritual blessings. How many know when the quail came down, they were actually eating quail? It was supernatural meat because they didn't go hunting for it. It parked itself on their front porch. So they ate all the supernatural meat. Same word as supernatural blessings. That means the blessings of God show up supernaturally. And look, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink. And they drank from that spiritual rock which followed them. Remember that rock? And Moses smacked the rock? Were they actually drinking water? Physical water? Yeah, it wasn't spiritual water. It was supernatural though because how many know water don't come out of a rock? That's the same exact word of spiritual blessings. So what do you got to do to get the blessings? Nothing. They're already yours. How do you get to them? How do you get your body and your mind and your will and your emotions to get into the right spot where the blessing is? Because it's a whole different thing than doing your checklist. I want to know what God I know what God knows in my spirit because I'm one spirit with the Lord. How do I get that information to the rest of my being so I can park myself in the right spot to get everything? I gotta develop and listen to my conscience. The voice of my spirit. I gotta not just recognize it and value it. I gotta actually do what it tells me to do. That's the only thing that is keeping you from getting all the stuff that God has for you. It's already yours. All you gotta do is cooperate with heaven to show up and get it. Not a checklist. When you feel guilty, you've taken yourself out from ever getting it. You can't get it. You have no confidence with God. Gone, and you can't hear from God. So the second, red flag. I've said this a million times probably in the two years. Red flag go off if you're feeling guilty about anything. And stop. This is not a spiritual mindset. Hold on. Stop the tape. Go to commercial. Whatever you've got to do to take a break. But, and do not proceed any further. If you're feeling guilt from any source, it's not a spiritual mindset. If it's manipulating your behavior, it's changing because you're feeling guilty. Stop. Reevaluate. Because there'd be enormous pressure for you to do stuff out of guilt. Friends, family, the job, society, right? The doctor. I mean, remember when I was telling you I was in the dentist with Jack? Huge pressure for me to feel like an idiot for asking for a second x-ray before we drill. Now we're back to reigning in life as a king because you know what? Kings don't feel... Do they make decisions based on guilt? Does George Bush make decisions based on guilt? He don't. Because boy, there's a lot of condemnation slung his way. And he said, I don't care, I ain't doing it. Other presidents have had done that and they were disasters. Not saying that he's so great, but I'm telling you, on this one point, he isn't moved by what everybody else, what the pressure is. Don't you be moved whatever the pressure is. 
Because we will we'll, we'll, we'll cave. And it's hard. It's so hard. Because that's why you've got to surround yourself with other people that know this. Because if, they, if they're going to cave, they're going to take you with them. Peer pressure is a huge thing. And if you've got somebody that will stand with you, right? Now that's good because you one, put a thousand to flight. Two, ten thousand. Now we're getting better. You surrounded by people that have this same kind of attitude and this mental, uh, the spiritual mentality, you could lick it. Anything that comes along. All right, go to the next one. First Peter three and verse twenty says this: "Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water." The like figure whereunto is baptism, immersion, or being pickled, doth now also save us. Say, that's not being born again, that's being rescued. Save us is being what? Rescued? Physically rescued. How do we get physically rescued? Not the putting away the filth of the flesh. There is no rescue for you doing a checklist. It ain't coming. That's what this says. Rescue is not coming for you... And that's put doing your filth of the flesh, putting that under, that's your evil conscience. It's full of labors. It's self-righteous. But it's funny because that self-righteousness, it's so proud, it's clothed in humility. Oh, look at all the stuff I do. It's really you're being proud by trying to make yourself as false humility. Doing all this stuff. Look at all the stuff I do. I volunteer. I feed the homeless. I do all that. And it's all this stuff to build their own equity. What's the answer? But the answer is a good conscience toward God, my spirit being alive, listening to the voice of my spirit by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where does salvation come from? Where do you being rescued come from? A what? Good conscience. You don't get a good conscience because you're saved. You get saved because you have a... Oh. You following that? Don't t- Oh, I'm saved. Really? Because I look at your life and it doesn't look like it. You're probably living underneath an evil conscience. Because if you had a good conscience, you would be saved and rescued and all this stuff that did all the promises, yes and amen, or show up. Why? Because I'm listening. Here's the answer. It's the answer. Good conscience. Not guilt. Y'all following this? Alright, go to the next one. Now I want to show you in the Word. We've been purged from an evil conscience. It no longer belongs to us. Hebrews 10 and verse 1. Hebrews 10 and verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of these things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers unto perfect. You all follow that? Remember they had these sacrifices year after year. Sin sacrifices burnt offerings, all that, what they're doing is pushing the sin back. He said, they didn't make, did they make the people perfect? No, because they had to keep coming back each year. If they had to come back again and do something else, then it didn't, make, it didn't do the job. You all following that? Okay. He said, for when, in verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? We would have stopped it. If it, made it. if it made everything perfect, they wouldn't have kept offering offerings. Isn't that right? Like if my house was finished, I wouldn't have to have subconscious come back out here and fix it again. Right? And do redo the sheetrock. What if the painting wasn't done right? I'd make them come back out and repaint it. It's the same thing with what offerings are. Now look. He said, because of that, 
the worshipers were once purged. This is what would have happened if they stopped. That the worshipers once purged would have no more conscience of sins. But they did. Do we still do sacrifice? Do we? Do we still have animal sacrifice? Do we have burnt offerings? Even the Jews don't do that anymore. Stop. Because what? Verse 14. Go to the next one. Verse 14 of that chapter says by this, By one offering He, Jesus, has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Already been paid for. So, they were looking for a purging of conscience of sins. We got it. It ain't your conscience telling you that you're sinning. Your conscience will tell you, make this decision, not that one. If you refuse this decision and you do the one it told you not to do, it ain't going to tell you, you're sinning. It's going to shut up because you ignored it. It's a still small voice. God does the same thing. It's not God that ever brings conviction. You ever heard that? Oh, they're under conviction. Not one place in the Bible that it says that God brings conviction. It says He will convince sinners that they need Jesus, but after that, He don't mention it again. Why? Because what? One offering has already been made forever. As far as He's concerned, remember when it said that He doesn't remember your sins anymore? As far as He's concerned, it doesn't exist. So how could He bring it up? If He doesn't remember it, how could He be telling you about it? And of course your conscience isn't going to tell you sin because your conscience is the voice of your spirit and your spirit is joined to who? The Lord and your what? One spirit. And if God doesn't tell you and all your spirit, your conscience is always going to tell you what God says, what God says because it's the voice of your spirit. Your spirit's mixed with God's spirit. It's only going to say what God says. It wouldn't tell you you're blowing it. What tells you you're blowing it? Guilt. And now once you get into guilt, well, jinky scoop, now I don't have confidence with God. Do you see how this, I mean, this stuff will take you out at the knees. But if you just listen to the voice of your spirit, you listen to your conscience when it says do this one and not that one, then what? We win. I got confidence, I got peace, I got all that. Yeah, I just do that. Do you see why we don't need the law anymore? If you just listen to your conscience, you don't need a checklist, you don't need Ten Commandments, you don't need anything because your conscience will never tell you anything different than what God's saying. Never. Because Jesus said, remember in John 15, the Spirit of truth has come. He'll testify of me and so will you because you were with me from the beginning. How could He say that? Because we're one Spirit with the Lord. If you find yourself over in guilt, again, stop. And back up and be like, all right, God, what's going on here? Show me the mistake and help me make the course correction. End of story. We don't feel guilty about it. We don't, repentance isn't boo-hoo, boo-hoo. It's a course correction. Repentance is to the rear march. All right, show me the mistake. Mistake was I went this way. Now I've got to go back to this one. That's it. It's over. We don't have to do 50 you know, Hail Marys or beat ourselves with little straps or walk across glass or any of that junk. Make the correction and go on. That's all there is to this. All right, go to the next one. Hebrews 9 and verse 11. 
but Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let's just stop right there. The priest system in the old time, you know, when they had this, you know, once a year, the scapegoat, y'all remember that? And once a year, they would take that blood and Aaron or the high priest would walk in with the rope tied around him in case he died while he was in there. You know, they could yak him out, go into the Ark of the Covenant, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Jesus did that at the real one. He went to the throne of God, sprinkled His own blood on there, so now it's over. How do I know it's over? Because what did it say? It said what? He obtained what kind of redemption? Go to the next one. What kind of redemption? Eternal redemption. It's right there. Eternal redemption. Remember what the word eternal means? Perpetual. It's instantly and constantly new. Every second. New, new, new. Redemption means the price has been paid. The pri- You know if you redeemed a coupon? Right? You got the money for it? You went to redeem it or whatever. You redeemed an offer, a special offer. Box tops, you ever redeemed them? Remember, I was going up, they had green stamps. Y'all remember those? We redeemed our green stamps for a toaster. Eternal redemption. Price has already been paid for every sin. It's perpetual redemption. See, I like that word better because it, 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 eternal, we think, oh, that's sometime in the distant future. Perpetual means it's instantly and it's constantly. There it is. Paid again. Paid again. Paid again. Paid again. Constantly paid, 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 paid. How many know it's always paid? No matter what you do, it's always paid. Paid, 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 paid. Any mistake you made, paid. Why are you feeling guilty about it? Paid, paid, paid. Course correction, just get back on it. Paid, paid. Oh, I blew that one. So what? Paid, make a course correction. Paid. You found that? Not, oh, I blew it. Oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. He's like, what are you doing? Paid, 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 paid. Because you know what? He'd never be able to have a relationship with us if it wasn't. He don't care about your behavior. He cares about you believing Him. Paid, 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 paid. (laughs) Perpetually, instantly, constantly renewed. Now, it said, For if the blood of bulls and goats, in verse 13, and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling on the unclean, if that did the job, if it sanctified and pured the flesh, how many know it did? That purified their flesh so their bodies wouldn't die. It pushed back the sin for a year. Blood of bulls and goats. It purified their body. Right? Year after year, pushed it back. That's what it did. He said, how much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge, not your body, but your what? Conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Gone. See ya. If you got to do one thing, you are saying to Jesus, what you did ain't enough. Thumb your nose at Him. Whatever. But all you got to do is believe Him. That the price was paid, 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 paid. Instantly and constantly paid. He said, if, you know, Bessie the bull, her blood could purify their bodies. How much more would Christ's blood 
purge your conscience from dead works. If Bessie the bull could pull it up, whatever. She ain't a bull, is she? That's what makes it so funny. <laughs> None of y'all caught except Mike. Mike's like snickering a little bit. But yeah, Bessie, the, come on, that was funny. But anyway, if Bessie the bull could make their bodies pure, how much more Christ, His blood, purge your conscience? Huge. Isn't that huge? That's huge. Already pay, eternally paid, perpetually paid for. There's never a deficit in that account. It don't matter how much junk you do, your account is never past paid in full. Not only that, you really want me to blow your mind? All right, come over here, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians. Six, five, sorry. Second Corinthians five. Yeah. Verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling who? the world unto Himself, not imputing or accounting, putting to their account their trespasses unto them. Did you read that? God, do you know what? The world's account is paid in full too. That's the good news. Not, if you don't get saved, you're going to hell. The good news is that God has already paid your account too. Nothing that they did. Think of the worst sinning person that you know. You got them in your mind? Paid, 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 paid. God doesn't hold one thing that they did against them. What's the difference? That they didn't accept the payment. That's the only difference between us and them. We said, that's a good deal. I'll take it. Now, isn't that much better news than, if you don't, what would you do if you died tonight? That ain't good news. All you're doing is instilling fear. You might as well be, you know, all you're trying to do is selling some insurance policy, isn't it? You might as well be selling a cancer policy. It's the same thing. If God doesn't hold it against the world, if He doesn't impute or account, that's what, I mean, that's what impute means, like hold credit to your account, whatever they did wrong, do you think He's holding it against you? You accepted the payment. Why would you go backwards? Why would you get back into that pit? Why would you jump back into the mud? It's already paid. Andrew, do you measure up? Yes. Why? Because that measuring stick is destroyed. Here's how God measures me. I'm one spirit with the Lord. I was with Him from the beginning. Now let me testify, tell you the truth how I know it. Doesn't that blow your mind? If God doesn't hold nothing against the world, why do you think He's holding something against you? Because if Bessie the bull could do it, couldn't Jesus? So, do you measure up? Yes. You bet you. You spend enough time with God? I can't get away from Him. It even says that in the Psalms. I mean, it says like, man, even if I went into hell, you're right there. Can't get away from you. You ever hear that? Well, you can't run from God. Did it work for Jonah? He didn't have the Spirit on the inside of him. We got the Spirit on the inside of us. Can we get away from God? You can't. 
Are you spending enough time with them? Yeah! I can't spend any more time. It's not possible for me to spend any more time with God than I'm already spending. Not, not possible. Now, is it possible for me to take measure what I hear and take heed of what I'm hearing? Yeah, now I, that's possible for me to fix, take heed what I'm hearing and then measure is this valuable or not valuable. That has nothing to do with how much time I'm spending with God. He's hearing all the stuff I'm hearing. I guarantee He don't value it. If it didn't come from Him, is He valuing it? If it doesn't match up with His Word, does He value what I hear? What He hears? Is he, is he, does He really give a rip if gas goes up to $4 a gallon? Does He value that? Should we? No! Why? Because it don't matter. Who made the gas? Right, who made the oil? I mean, all that. Whose is it? And he's trying to get it into our hands. If we would just stop you know, whining and crying and worrying and getting stuck down in the mud about all the stuff that I didn't do to measure up. That's why we don't walk into our inheritance. We don't think we deserve it. Oh, ouch, I know that's right. It's the truth. Well, I'm just not doing it. Yeah, no, we, yeah, you are. You measure up. There's nothing else you could do. If it was something you could do, then what Jesus did was a waste of time. Why did he even show up? If there was something you could do, why did Jesus even show up? That's why it's called a gift. It's free. All right, so where are we over here in Hebrews? Hebrews in verse... Uh, Chapter 9, verse 14. All right, go to the next one. We'll go back to Hebrews 10. It's the, end of the, the other end of the chapter. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Does that sound like you have confidence? Does that sound like you're feeling guilty about anything? I mean, you know, Drew, Jack, and Mick, they just run up into me wherever I'm at with boldness. Michaela, she don't even stop if it's the bathroom door. You gotta lock that thing because she'll walk right in with boldness. She don't feel guilty about nothing. Whatever, she, whatever her issue is, if it, whatever's on her mind that second, it's got to be taken care of, and she has boldness to approach whoever's going to fix this for me. I want my chocolate milk now, and with cashews. She don't want peanuts anymore. She wants cashews. But that's what God wants us to do. Run into the throne room with boldness. Do you know he don't care what kind of you know if he had a big foreign policy thing going on, a big you know you know NATO was in there and the EU, we could run right in there with boldness and say, hey, chocolate milk. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Afraid to go in there and ask whatever you want. Because what did that we just read that in John, First John three he said if we do have confidence, then whatsoever we ask, we know we get it from him. It's, yeah, okay, baby. Yeah, baby, whatever you want. Well, even when I tell Mick, no, no, no chocolate milk right now, if she just stays with it a couple minutes, she'll end up getting it. Hey, Amen, I know that's right. Mommy's not happy about that, but whatever. Verse 20. Right, aren't you glad that God's not a mother? Amen. Amen. You because know, the daddy will let you do whatever, baby. If you just stick with him long enough, yeah, that's fine, go ahead. Mamas don't do that. Hallelujah. Verse 20. <laughs> but by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say His flesh. Now let me untangle that. Here's a new and living way. The old way was guilt and the law. And animal sacrifices, we had to keep throwing Bessie the bull up there. Right? 
Not now. Blood of Jesus. New and living way. Living. Instantly. Constantly. It's new. It's new. It's new. It's new. It says He consecrated us. Now that seems a little... What are you talking about? Consecrate. That Greek word is inaugurate. It's an inauguration. You know what an inauguration is? It means we usher in officially. When the president is inaugurated, we usher in officially what? Him to the office. Now you have all the authority, all the power that goes with the presidency. What Jesus did was He officially ushered us in to the Holy of Holies and said, now you got all the authority, all the power that I had. Here you go. It's not a little back room deal. Big ceremony. You were inaugurated into having boldness to go into the throne room and say, Daddy, chocolate milk. Having a high priest over the house of God. Now watch. Now knowing that, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled or washed from a evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering because He's faithful that promised. Your evil conscience has been purged. He inaugurated, ushered us in officially by His blood to the family. There's not one thing on our account. Now, here's the only difference between us and somebody in the world. Our accounts are all clean. We've been ushered in officially. Because we said, yeah, Jesus, I'll take that. And then He brings us officially into the throne room and says, here's another one of your kids. Now i got access to the throne. That's the only difference between us and somebody in the world who's not born again, as far as God's concerned. Because Jesus paid the price for them too, didn't He? He's not going to die again for them if they decide to get born again, is He? He doesn't hold one thing against them. He doesn't hold nothing against you. And He ushered you in officially to the throne room so you can have boldness to go in there. Guilt? Now. That'll take you out at the knees. We don't operate there. We do whatever. Whatever my spirit is telling me to do, do that one. I don't need a checklist. I don't need somebody else telling me what I should do or telling me that's just not that. We just don't do that around here or that's not done that way. I don't care if society's saying it. People just don't get healed from cancer. That just, just doesn't happen. People just don't have you know cavities filled in without getting drilled and filled. People don't you know live without incomes for three years and not lose everything. What's well, just not done? Really? Yeah, it is. If you listen to your spirit. And if you get to the point where you're like, hey, something's going off, feel guilty, whatever, just stop. Red flag. What's going on? All right, course correction. Did I blow that? Fine. To the rear march, get back on course. Paid for, paid for, paid for. I don't let that slow me down. I don't, don't waste any time with it. You've, whatever time that you wasted on going in that direction, making the misstep, don't waste any more energy, time, or resources worrying about that. Get back over here and just keep going because God doesn't remember it anymore. The only thing the hell is trying to do is trying to keep you busy with distractions. Purge from an evil conscience. It's gone. It doesn't belong to us anymore. We don't operate there anymore. If you do, you can't hear from God. 
I, want, I need rhema moment by moment direction. I, need, I need information. Everything that he knows, my spirit has access to that information. I've got to get it to the rest of my being so that I can be at the right place at the right time and make the right decisions. If I'm feeling guilty about something, I guarantee you that ain't the right decision. If somebody's trying to guilt you into something, right, that ain't the right decision. If you're, you know, watching television and the minister tells you and start making you feel guilty because you're not sending in your $1,000 offering, don't. It's not the right decision. Same thing if you're buying a car, you're buying a house, whatever it is. Retirement plans. Whoever's, whoever's selling you or trying to get you to do whatever they want you to do, if they're using guilt to do it, just stop right there. Get up and walk out. We'll have to reschedule this appointment another time. Don't be afraid to do that. Well, you know, we've been taught, you know, well, we should just turn the other cheek and be nice. That wouldn't be nice if I got up and did that. And what will happen is, what you're doing is violating your conscience and it's going to, you know, Mud suck you and you're going to pay a big price. Financially, emotionally, physically we could. Every time that I've ever gotten in trouble, it's because I violated my conscience. I'm still paying for some of that stuff. That's why I really value what I hear. When I hear my conscience do something, boy, you learn a couple hundred thousand dollar mistakes, you feel a couple of those, you get up to speed pretty quick after that, baby. Woo! Right? All right, stand to your feet with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You and praise You for Your Word. Seal it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I thank You for leading us and guiding us and teaching us and testifying to us the truth as You know it. Uh, thank You that as we uh, meditate on this, that we develop and mature our uh, listening and our hearing to the voice of our spirit and that we do what our conscience tells us to do because we know and can have confidence that that's what's coming from you. Father, help us to red flag an evil conscience and guilt and to shut that down immediately and get back on with our good conscience because that's the answer. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.